Amen. And let's uh, turn to the scriptures, if we may. And again, I'm going to reduce slightly the length of scripture that uh, we look at. But if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Uh, It was a church that he never actually uh, visited himself, but he had a great concern for this church and he had a desire to help them. Now, our service this morning obviously is not following the normal line uh, of uh, what we've been looking at at the moment from... um, the Acts of the Apostles, but uh, for the dedication service, we've taken a break to look at this, and I'm trying to do a little series on, uh, uh, on family-related things during dedication services, and we've got another infant dedication service on the 20th of November, God willing, so we're looking forward to that, and if there is anybody else uh, who has uh, an infant uh, child that is Uh, wants to be dedicated to bring them before the Lord, then please talk to me and it would be a joy to be able to do that. So we'll read from verse 3, if we may. We give thanks, this is chapter 1 of Colossians, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints. Faith in Jesus changed their outlook because of the hope I want you to notice that word, underline it in your minds. The hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. It is also in the world, in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and on suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the powers of darkness and conveyed us, love that word, conveyed us into his kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And for him. And then we go forward a little bit further to chapter 3 and just look at two verses, uh, verse 20 and 21. And our message this morning is going to be looking at verse 21. Uh, But we needed to read these verses in the beginning of Colossians to help us to understand. So, verse 20 says, And children, I want you to hang on to your seats now at this particular moment in time. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And now, fathers, I want you to hang on to your seats really tightly. Grandfathers as well. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become 
discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So this morning, as I've said, is the first message in a series looking at families. And uh, each time we have a dedication service. And if we don't have any more dedications, then we will choose some other services to be able to put this as we're beginning to come up towards our uh, marriage conference there in November. Uh, But it's with joy that I can uh, say that uh, the scriptures that we have this morning, whilst sometimes we don't like being put on the spot, we need to be. And the joy that comes from the scriptures that we have this morning is because God graciously knows what we need in our lives to be able to live for him, but also to be able to raise our families to live for him, to be able to be the example and the witness to our children, to be able to encourage them to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because they're watching us. They're seeing very carefully how we live our lives, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. I realize there are some people who are saying, well, I'm not married, so is it okay if I'm not off to sleep during the course of the next uh, uh, 30 minutes or so? Well, the answer is no, Uh, that's not possible because the scriptures that we've read together speak to all of us. And the uh, emphasis of the scriptures that we have is indeed for all of us. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I've done my part. The kids have grown up and left. And if they haven't left just yet, they'll be getting a letter shortly to encourage them to go because, uh, you know, we want our home space. We, you know, we've done everything for these kids. We've done all our, 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 our encouraging of them. You know, they've spent all the, the family fortune has been blown on raising them. And now it's time that you go and you're having the locks changed just to make sure. No, you shouldn't do that. That isn't right. But you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I've done my part. The kids are gone. Well, the message is for you as well this morning, because none of us have an opt-out when it comes to families. We're part of a church. We're part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ here at Norwich Baptist Church. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul and the way that he wrote these letters to the churches, he began very simply by talking about the doctrine, the reasons why things happen. He spoke about uh, uh, here in Colossians some wonderful themes And when we then move a bit further and we see this pattern in all of his letters, we discover that he talks about the doctrine, the how, or the why rather, and then the second half of the letter, he talks about the how. So the first half, you might say, well, that's for the intellectuals. Well, no, it isn't really. The second half is, however, the practical part for all of us. And so when you come to read a letter like the letter to the Colossian Christians, don't feel tempted to just read... Chapter 3, verse 20, fathers, do not provoke your children, okay? Children, obey your parents. Because how are we not to provoke our children? How are we to obey our parents? We need to know the reasons why. We need to have the explanation, first of all. But then Paul graciously talks to those of us. Some of us are a bit thicker, sort of sculled than others. And we need to have very clear, practical understanding and, uh, and help to be able to know what it is that we're talking about so those are the verses that we're going to look at but what I want to do is to swap them around for our time this week and then on the 20th we're going to look at the uh, verse 20 which is children obey your parents so parents might like to make a note in their diary do not miss November the 20th in the morning make sure your children have been brought along and are ready to listen to what is being spoken So, children, this morning, you can relax. 
Okay, you can take it slightly easy because we're not going to... You're looking very relaxed there. I think you're relieved, aren't you? You're not worried about it because we're not talking about children obeying your parents today. However, uh, fathers, and particularly John, John is now feeling a little bit sweaty under the collar yet again because he's suddenly thinking to himself, everybody's looking at him. And you know what? They are. I've seen heads turn around and they're all watching John. And the other men here this morning are grateful because John's taking the heat for you. Well, he isn't really because we're going to be talking to all of us, but that's uh, uh, perhaps how it comes over a little bit. And so when we look at Colossians, we discover that in the first half of Colossians, uh, verse 10, for example, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in wisdom. No, that's not what the scripture says. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now do you begin to understand that the first part of Colossians is the only way we can understand the second part because we have to put the two together. And then we turn to uh, verse 18 of chapter 1 and it says this. That in all things he may have preeminence. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. So it says in all aspects of our life, the way we talk to our wives, the way we bring up our children, all aspects of our lives, the preeminence is in Jesus Christ. And the verse that I want to focus on in that verse 21 is linked to verse 5 very carefully. And verse 5 says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So you want to keep that verse 5 in chapter 1 together with verse 21 in chapter 3. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this will be pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. <clears throat> so John might be feeling a bit under, hot under the collar at the moment. But this message, because the scriptures talk to all of us, is so important. But the words that we're looking at is very short. In fact, there's only 10 words in the verse that we're studying. But even this morning, we haven't got time to do all of those words justice. Essentially, that verse, when you think about it, covers a huge subject. We are not going to have time this week, certainly, to look at all of it. But we're going to look at the actual text this morning. And we're going to consider what it is to embitter our children and what it is to discourage them. Because this is one of the biggest problems that we see in our world today. And I'm not just talking about Christians. I'm talking about the whole of our societies. And you see that there are young people who continually say, well, I'm just so discouraged. They might use stronger language to explain how they feel, but that's the sentiment that comes over. And then you hear them talking about the bitterness that they feel towards society in which they live you know our society has let our young people down but sadly i have to say so too is our churches we have let them down 
And so too have some of us here this morning. And some of the guys sat here this morning, you've let your children down. I've let my children down. And you've let your children down. And your children are bitter because of what's happened. Remember, fathers, and remember, mothers, that your children are responsive. Now, this point seems to slip our, our understanding sometimes. We tend to forget this. But the truth is they respond to us. Even Eloise, she's two, she responds to Joe and I. And it's incredible the amount of learning, like she will bring things to me before I've even thought about getting them, but she already knows, you know, the time, the place, and she knows what it is that I want, and she'll come toddling in with it because she's responsive to me. She's responsive to Joe. And all of our children are responsive to us. In other words, what they see and what they hear and how they're treated has a reaction with them. And the scriptures make this very clear. This verse alone says that. It says, fathers, if, 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 if you embitter your children, you'll discourage them because a child responds to how you treat them. It responds to what you have to say. It responds to the things that you do. It responds to the things that you say. It is parents who set the atmosphere and the dynamics within the home. Again, that comes as a bit of a shock to some of us. Today, it seems to be that children are the ones that set the scene. Children are the ones that say how the house is going to be run. Children are the ones that say and determine where it is that we're going to go and what we're going to do. I've heard families who will say to me, the children don't want to come to church this week, so we went off and did something else. We've done something else. Because the children have now taken the position of being the ones that operate and determine what takes place. It is not your children who set the atmosphere in your home, or at least it shouldn't be. Parents, and perhaps particularly fathers, it is we who have to teach our children to obey because, naturally speaking, their inclination is not to obey. Isn't it interesting that one of the first words a child learns is the word no? No, I won't do that. Come back to Eloise, she's two. You know, her vocabulary is impressive for a two-year-old, I've got to say that. But one of her favorite words is no. You know, in comparison to the word yes, it's the word no that is often spoken. And, you know, I've discovered that as teenagers grow up, the word no still seems to feature highly in their vocabulary. You know, would you mow the lawn? No. <laughs> would you clean the car? No. I've got something else to do. I'm going out with my friends. I'm in the middle of a game, as Jack says, to Alex. So this, is, this puts John and I immediately on a, on a line here. Okay. Well, I, I can't let Alex down. And, and if, I, if I leave the game now, then, then, then he's, you know, he's going to be on his own. No, he's not. You know? He's got his mum and dad there and his sisters. All's going to be fine. But it's interesting how it seems today that our children are the ones that determine the atmosphere and what goes on in our homes. But fathers particularly, we've got to be there and we have to do what we can to encourage our children. You see, it's not instinctive for children to obey anyone. In fact, it's quite the reverse. Instinctively, children do not want to obey their parents. One of the first words, as I say, they learn is no. 
when Paul wrote to Timothy about uh, somebody wanting to be an overseer or an elder in the church, what's one of the things that he says first of all? And the elders in our fellowship, uh, we've been reading a book recently entitled Elders. So it's a short to the point title. And I have found that book so challenging. I started writing my resignation letter after reading page one of the book. And I know that some of the other guys, uh, Chris and, and, uh, and Adrian, perhaps felt very much the same thing because the first question it says is, you know, are you qualified? And it's a challenge. But one of the qualifications that's given for an elder is do you have control over your family? It's not talking about the church or other people, the first thing it starts talking about, you've got to be able to control your family. You've got to be able to be a leader, a shepherd in your family. If you can't shepherd your family, then how are you going to shepherd the church? How are you going to deal with other people's issues and problems, ones that you have absolutely no idea about? And so we see very clearly that this understanding of, uh, of our children and our responsibility towards them is an, in, in, an integral part of leadership within the church. One of the things that we say about this person is that they have to be able to manage their family well and see that his children obey with proper respect. So Paul says to fathers, you're responsible for this. And children, you have to learn obedience as your parents teach you. Now, as we uh, come to these verses this morning, we will see that there are two very strong words that are used. And the word embittered and the word discouraged are very, very strong words, aren't they? And already perhaps some of you can think back to the day that your mum or your dad caused bitterness in your heart and in your life. And it's clear in your mind as, as, as a bell ringing. And you can still see the pictures in your mind of the things that took place. And you still have that sense of bitterness perhaps deep down within inside you. Because these are strong words. The word discouraged is a very, very strong word. The word embittered means to arouse bitter feelings. And the scriptures are very clear that there is absolutely no room for bitterness in our lives. Now do you see that this is for all of us. None of us should allow bitterness in our hearts and lives. The writer of the Hebrews states it this way. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this many become defiled. I say it to you clearly. In the Christian life, you can be bitter for nobody. You can't allow that to happen. And then the word discouraged, according to my dictionary, is to deprive someone of courage and confidence and of energy. Is that what you want your children to be like? Deprived of courage or confidence or energy? In other words, these are words about disappointment and disillusionment. And they're also words that take us back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. And it's about a lack of hope. Because if your children have no hope, if we have no hope, how can we live the life that the, the, the God who loves us demands of us? If there's no hope, how can we do it? We can't. Now, we might expect this to be more the consequence 
of absent fathers in families rather than present fathers in families. Fathers and mothers have different roles in their children's lives, certainly psychologically, certainly physically. Children are not meant to be the responsibility that should be looked after by just one. Now, I want to point out at this point, and I mean this with all sincerity, I have tremendous admiration for single parents, both single mothers and single fathers. I have tremendous admiration because it's hard. It's tough. And you're bringing up children on your own. And you've got nobody to talk to in the way that others have. And I absolutely respect the enormous courage and the energy and the commitment and the loyalty that is necessary to do the job well on your own. And in some cases against overwhelming odds. But you work hard. And you bring up your children well. And I want to thank you for all that you do. Sadly, some churches have failed you. I hope very much that this church hasn't. I know sometimes pastors make stupid and silly comments which undermine you. And so if I've said anything, or if this church has said anything, I apologize. And I want you to know that if we can do anything to help, we will do it. If finances are short, we can help. If there's something you need, don't be afraid to come and talk to us because we are a family together. Now we come back to our text. And Paul warns fathers to bring up their children by giving their children expectation and encouragement and above all, hope. And that, of course, is the reverse of what we're saying here, embitterment and discouragement. You see, the goal of good parenting is to rear children who are not discouraged, who are full of hope, and whose hearts are free to pursue those hopes. Now, some of you might say to me, well, Pastor, that doesn't sound very Christian-like. Anybody can have that particular view and particular understanding, that particular objective. And they're right. Most wise parents will bring up their children with similar objectives. But here in these verses, there is a difference. And the difference is the context. Paul is writing about the outworking of our union with Christ. That's where he starts. He says Christ is preeminent or he should be in your life. Everything you do, you do for him. That's where your strength comes from. That's where your desire to serve comes from, to serve Christ. And he spends the first two or three chapters of his letter talking about this. And in the first few verses, we've read them all together, he talks about hope that is in Jesus. Hope that is in Jesus. Now we begin to understand how. Verse 21 can be dealt with. If Christ has become the source of our wisdom and our understanding and our hope, 
then this helps us to understand the verse that we have before us. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul's been talking about hope. And we need to apply this to the verse that we have here. Now, I know the word hope doesn't appear in the verse itself, but the idea certainly does and is very clearly presented. Hope, I suggest to you, is looking forward to the future in such a way that gives confidence in the present. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing to be a Christian about? Because our hope is in the future, we can be confident now. We can deal with the situations that we face now. The hard times in our families, we can deal with them because our hope is in the future. Our hope is in Jesus. It's a looking forward an expectation that enables us to live with the presence, whatever the presence brings to us. And here in the letter to the Colossians, Paul has talked about faith and love that spring from hope. That is to say, he is our hope and our confidence. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our confidence about the future. We are able to say our faith and love and hope is in him. In chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope that's held out for you in the gospel. Verse 27, Christ in you is your hope of the future. The glory that God is working out in your life. Elsewhere, in, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul talks about your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, what I'm talking about means nothing to you. It's only when you know him that you know the hope that he gives to all who come to him. A very worldly, or sorry, not worldly, earthly way of talking about hope would be to describe it as your stickability is inspired by hope. And hope is the opposite of discouragement and the opposite of disappointment. Your stickability. What a wonderful way of putting it. And so the question is, very simply this, and this is the point at which we close this morning. Where do we encourage our children to place their hope? Where do we encourage our children to place their hope? And for a moment, I want you to think and be honest. You can close your eyes if you want. You can get a big pad of paper out and a pen and write it down, whatever. But I want you just for a moment to be honest and to answer that question yourself. Where do you encourage your children to place their hope? But be honest. In the context of this letter, we should encourage our children to place their hope in God through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, that's it. Now you say to me, well, what about a good education? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that's what our responsibility is to place their hope in God through Jesus Christ. When they look at your life, is that the message they get? Does your life encourage them to place their hope in Jesus Christ? 
Or does it do the opposite and turn them off? And say, well, if that's it, I'm going elsewhere. You see, parents without Christ will give their children hope, but usually in the wrong things. They'll give them hope, for example, in a good education as being the key to their future. They'll give them hope in professional success as being the key to their satisfaction. They'll give them hope in earning good money as being the key to their comforts. Some give their children hope in good looks. I heard recently of parents who bought their child a voucher for plastic surgery as a gift for their graduation present. I can't believe it. What in the world are they telling their children? That value has to do with how you look and that glamour in some way is important? Parents, don't tell your daughters they look sexy when they're going out in the evening. What I have to say to my daughters is, go back in and put some more clothes on. (laughs) I'm telling you, that's the last thing you want to tell your daughter in this broken world in which we live. Sexually depraved world in which we live. Doesn't mean that we brush our hair and, or don't brush our hair and stuff, but we're careful. We give our kids the idea that marrying the right spouse is the key to a happy life, and it's got a great deal to do with it. But it's not the most important thing. Now, many of these things are entirely valid. A good education, a successful career. Yes, these are valid things. But what if your children are not academically inclined? I never got my high school diploma. And I'm so glad that my parents didn't push me in a certain direction. Because I'd never have been here today. What if your child doesn't achieve great professional success? Not everybody does. What if your child doesn't make good money? Not everybody does. Perhaps your child will never marry. Fathers, parents, if these are the hopes that you're instilling in your children, then I'm sorry to say this, but you have set them up for embitterment and discouragement. And no hope, according to the scriptures that we have read this morning. Do you realize that there are many young people who are living with the fact that they are disappointing their parents? Because they've had instilled in them the expectations. And I'm sad to have to say this. Some of those parents are Christian parents. Christian families. And the children are becoming bitter and disappointed because their hopes were being placed in the wrong things. I mean, if you ask Paul the question, what kind of freedom from discouragement do you want our children to have? If you say, fathers, don't discourage your children, don't bring them to the place of embitterment, well, what kind of freedom... From that, do you want? What do you mean by this, Paul? 
I don't think Paul would say, I want your children to be free from the fact that they may not become well-educated or wealthy or free from the fact that they may not become well-known or free from the fact that they may not become successful or free from the fact that they may not marry and have children. I don't think Paul would say that at all. And in fact, I know he wouldn't say that because in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul talked about things like this in his own life. He said, I have reason to boast in our culture. I can stand head and shoulders above most of you. And then he gives a catalog of things that I'm sure his parents were very thrilled about. Born in the right place, educated to the best by Gamaliel down in Jerusalem, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He became a Pharisee. He reached the top professionally. And as for legalistic righteousness, he was absolutely faultless. And I'm sure Paul's parents talked very proudly about their son to the neighbors. And then he said this. But all of this I count as rubbish. Now that's the word that the New King James Version uses. The authorized version is a little bit more honest about it. And it uses the word dung. I'm not going to go into a great deal of explanation as to what dung is. If there's a young person here this morning and you're unsure, then talk to your parents and they will explain. I did think I'd say the following, and perhaps I'll regret it, but uh, Dutch people here will understand the word more thoroughly than perhaps those of a more civilized nature in, uh, in, in uh, the way that we've been brought up. But the translation is often rubbish, but the word is dung and so on. Paul grew up thinking, yes, 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 mum and dad, aren't you pleased? And I think if you said to Paul, what kind of freedom from discouragement would you want your children or our children to have? I think he'd say, I want them to be free from the discouragement that God is not guiding them and directing them. I want them to be free from the discouragement that God may not be sufficient for them in whatever set of circumstances they find themselves. I think Paul would say, Fathers, I want you to encourage your children's hope in God. And if you're well educated, that's wonderful. And if you're successful, that's great too. I don't think the question about plastic surgery would come in here. You know, Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What God wants for you, he'll give to you when your hope is in God. Don't put your hope in secondary things. There's a little bit of transliteration there, but that's what he says in Timothy 6, verse 17. And we must teach our children and show our children that life does not consist of our possessions or our performance or our position. Those are not the goals of our life. God is the goal of our life. All our hope is to be in him 
and the outworking of his will and his purpose. But sometimes as parents, we get the goals wrong. And sometimes as parents, we allow the world to sneak in. And suddenly we're looking at their school report and we're saying to ourselves, no, 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 you've got to do better than this. And maybe they should do. But suddenly we've seen a switch take place as to what's important. We've allowed ourselves to be pressed into the mold of the world. Now, it doesn't mean don't encourage your children to get the best education they can, but the goal of their life is something much, much, much bigger than this. What is really important is that we as families align ourselves with the will of God. And we need to be asking, what are the purposes of God and how do I align my family? How do we as a family, how do our children align themselves with the will of God? Are we living by values that align with what is important to God? How do we adopt purposes that are consistent with his will and consistent with his word? John, are you still with us? Yes. Everyone's looking at you again. <laughs> John, as Christian fathers, we need to be a father to our children as God is a father to us. He doesn't embitter us. He doesn't discourage us. He gives us all that we need. And he loves us. And chaps, for all of us here, and for mums as well. Remember that we do not teach our children to be self-confident. But we teach them to be confident in God. Confidence in God is something much, much bigger. In fact, sometimes God in his kindness and in his fathering of us strips us of our self-confidence until there's nothing else except to run back to him. And even Paul found that out. Remember some of the things he said? And I think he made the statement somewhere he said, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death because everything had been taken away from him. But wasn't this so that he did not rely upon himself, but rely upon God? Now this gives us hope as parents. This is the way we need to live the life of a Christian parent. Have you heard the saying that the best things are caught, not taught? Parents, and possibly particularly fathers here this morning, if we say the right things, but we don't live the right way, the first people who will see it are our kids. We won't see it, but they will. Have you ever watched one of those foreign films? I've got to be careful saying something like that. And you notice that it's been dubbed. And, and you see the pictures, and then the words catch up a little bit later. Uh, the pictures are out of sync with the soundtrack. But you notice how that we always say the soundtrack is slow. Nobody ever says 
that the visuals are too fast. Because you see, the visual is what's real. It's what we see. And we measure what we hear by what we see. And friends, this is what your kids are doing all the time. It's what they see that really matters. They see first. They see your actions. They see the things you do and the places you go. And then when you speak, all too often they know it's not real because they've seen it in your life. The very best thing that you can do is leave with your children a trust and confidence in God. And when they come to leave home and they step out into this big world around them, they will take that trust and confidence in Jesus with them instead of leaving it at the door when they walk out. Now you can't enforce it, of course. Proverbs says so many wonderful things about a parent, a trainer of children. Bring up a child and the way it should go, etc., etc. And he, she will not depart from it. It also says that a man can have a fool for a son. We're not responsible for the choices our children make. But we are to provide that environment that makes it easy for them to make the right choices. Are you doing that? Is each of the families here doing that? Because that's the responsibility we have. They see us. They know what's going on. And if we make stupid mistakes, those mistakes will be replicated. And if we're dishonest with them, that dishonesty will be replicated. I think it's very important that as husbands we love our wives properly. That is a key ingredient in the security of our children. But it's even more important that we love God properly. Now, do you see why we needed Colossians 1 to 3? To be able to help us understand chapter 3, verse 20. It means that we place God in the position of preeminence in our lives. And this afternoon, go home and read Colossians. It won't take you long. May the Lord bless us.